Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This morning I'd like to continue a message that I started here earlier. It actually was not the last time I preached here, it was earlier than that. The title of the message was Speaking God's Language. I'd like to continue that message here this morning. And the point of the message is, we say that we love God. I think everyone here would say that we love God. The question is, do our actions indicate that we love him, or do our actions prove otherwise? Sometimes we, we tend to be weak in living up to what we profess. And I fear that that may be true in our profession of love for God. If you love God, can he tell that you love him? Does he know? And how does he know? How do you expect him to know that you love him? When is the last time that you have intentionally shown your love for God through something that you've done or the way that you lived? If we love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, I believe that it should be and will be obvious in every aspect of our lives. In other words, I don't think there should ever be a moment when our love for God is in question, when people look at us and as a result of how we're living or what we're doing, ask, does he really love God? So how can we show our love for God? As humans, we love, we express love, we receive love, but God is love. It's not just something he does, it is who he is. And when we do not love God as we should, we are really not connecting with who God is. So how can we show our love for God is the question that we are addressing. And as in the earlier sermon, I referred to Gary Chapman, who presented five ways in which people express and understand their love for each other which he refers to as the five love languages. And I'm using that idea to show ways we can express our love for God. And as I indicated earlier, this is not a, a list as such that's found in the Bible, but each one of these ways is biblical. And there may be other ways as well, but these are the five ways that I chose to focus on. In the first sermon, I referred to expressing our love for God through our words of praise for him, and through the aspect of physical touch, how that God is a God of touch, and how that we can express our love for him doing the same, in the same way. I intended to conclude the sermon this morning, but as I was preparing, I realized that I'm probably not going to be able to do that. So this morning I'd like to look at one other way in which we can ask, uh, express our love to God and then consider the others later on. The other three ways are through quality time, giving of gifts, and acts of service. Let's have just a little bit of review of the uh, first two points that we covered in the uh, first sermon in this set. Looking at praising God, we talked about God deserves our praise. We really owe our praise to God, our words of praise, words of affirmation. Not only does he deserve our praise, but he also desires it. God is a jealous God. 
Do we praise God or do we praise others or do we praise ourselves? Who do we focus our praise on? And if our praise is not focused on God, centered on God, um, he feels that. He is a jealous, jealous God. God's word directs our praise. We need to praise God for what he does. We need to praise God for who he is. We need to praise God continually and sacrificially. God understands your love by your praise for him. It's one way in which he understands our love. Then we looked at the aspect of physical touch, which is uh, perhaps a little bit of a unique subject to touch on, but nevertheless an interesting subject. We looked at how Jesus touched people. And I find it fascinating as you read the Gospels to just think about how often Jesus' interaction with people involved physical touch as he touched their lives. Jesus touched the children. He held them. He laid his hands on them. Jesus touched the daughter of Jairus. He touched the blind men. These are just a few examples. There were many more. And Jesus even went so far as to touch a leper, which was probably an abhorring idea to those around him. The Gospels often refer to Jesus' touch. But not only did Jesus touch people, Jesus allowed people to touch him. Jesus allowed people to enter into his private space, as it were. He was touched by, by again, many different uh, examples. He was touched by Thomas when Thomas was doubtful. He was touched by the multitudes. We looked at a verse of scripture where it says, the whole multitude sought to touch him. Multitudes came out from a number of cities. It says the whole multitude sought to touch him. You can imagine how overwhelming that would feel if you're in the middle of a multitude and every one of them is trying to touch you. But Jesus did not shy away from these people. He allowed them to enter into his life in that way. He was touched by outcasts, sinners. He was touched by believers, those who believed in him and worshipped him. Jesus allowed people to touch him. God welcomes our touch of love. I think he feels our love when we touch those in need around us. We looked at the uh, verse in Matthew 25. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, Jesus said, ye have done it unto me. So every time you touch a person in need, I believe Jesus was saying, you are touching him. And he welcomes that touch. When you look at the crowds around you, when you look at the multitudes, do you see Jesus in the multitudes? Do you see an opportunity to touch Jesus? Are you willing to enter their lives? God understands your love by your touch. This morning, we'd like to look at the third way in which we can express our love for God and the third way in which I believe God wants us to express our love to him. And that is through the aspect of quality time, spending time with God. How much time do you spend with God? You've probably all heard it said that many people spell love, T-I-M-E. In other words, if you do not spend time with someone, how can you love them? And for some people, this is the basic way in which love is understood. 
For some people, you can attempt to express love in one of these other methods we talked about. But unless you spend time with that person, they do not feel loved. You can give them gifts. You can do acts of service for them. You can give them all kinds of pleasant words and give them a hug. But until they have your focused time, they do not really feel your love. At the same time, for some of us, expressing love through time may be the most difficult way to express love. Because we're busy people, we have lots of things in our agenda. And obviously, time takes time. Time is time. And it's so much easier to just do something, to say a few words, to give a hug and run out the door and be on our way. And that person doesn't feel loved because they do not have our time. Now, God understands all my ways of showing love. And if I express my love in other ways, he will understand that. At least he will understand that I have a certain degree of love for him. But he may not feel that my love is complete if I am not willing to have that focused quality time with him. Remember, God is a perfect God, and perfect means complete. And he understands love in all these ways, and he wants to receive love in all of these ways. He wants to receive your love through the time that you are willing to spend with him. I'd like to look at a number of aspects here. First of all, I'd like to look at several indications of God's desire to spend time with his people. And the first indication I'd like to look at is God's interaction with Adam and Eve. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, and you will recall how that in chapter 3, it says, Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the Lord called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? It's pretty easy for me to surmise that this may have been a regular occurrence. God appearing in the garden in the cool of the day to spend time with his people. The scripture does not specifically indicate that it was a regular occurrence, but I believe it could have been. God enjoyed spending time with his people. Do you think he enjoys it any less today than he did back there in the Garden of Eden? How often does Jesus or God come to walk with you, maybe in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening, and he needs to call out, John, where art thou? Mary, where art thou? And he hears this far off voice. I was busy, so I hid myself so I could get my work done. Or I was distracted with whatever it was. Do you think God misses his time of communion with you? Is he crying out for that time? Where are you when I want to spend time with you? So one indication of God's desire to spend time with his people is his interaction right from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. We see various indications with his interaction with the children of Israel. Over and over again, he expressed his desire to interact with them. He told them, you have gone astray, you have turned away, you do not spend time with me. I'll just share a couple verses. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This was a verse that, that indicated that 
if God's people turn away from them and cut off that connection with them, he says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, come back to me, then why hear from heaven? I will forgive their sin and heal their land. God is indicating that regardless of where you are, where you go, I am always here. I am waiting. I want to receive you. I want to spend that time with you. I want you to spend that time with me. Another verse, Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Again, an indication of God's desire to receive his people. In Psalm 73, I believe the writer of this psalm was a man by the name of Asaph. And throughout this psalm, Asaph was detailing some of the distractions that caught his attention and some of the things that caused him to question God's love for him or caused him to question the goodness of God. But his conclusion towards the end of that psalm, it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. He recognized that importance of spending that time with God. And then there's a beautiful verse in Psalm 16, verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence, in God's presence, as we spend time with him. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. As I read that verse, as I read that verse this week, I thought of a song written by Fanny Crosby, and I wondered if maybe that verse may have been the inspiration for the song that she wrote. This idea of in God's presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. She says, I am thine, O Lord. I have heard thy voice, and it told your love. To me, but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend. When I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend with friend. There are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. Do you long for that pure delight that Fanny was referring to? For those depths of love? For those heights of joy? If so, make Fanny's prayer your prayer. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. And remember Psalm 16, verse 11. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God just longs to bring us into his presence, to spend that time and to, to, um, to relate that joy with us, those pleasures. A third indication of God's desire 
is Christ's interaction with people. Throughout the Gospels, Christ, Jesus, was involved with people in a personal way. His three years of ministry, did you ever think about how much time he spent with people? A lot of time. Most of his time was spent with people. Various examples. Uh, One example would be with the disciples themselves. Mark chapter 3 verse 14 says, He ordained 12 that they should be with him. It doesn't say he ordained 12 that he should teach them, that they should follow him, that they should learn about him, but that they would be with him. Jesus' plan was to spend time with his disciples, day in, day out, day after day, in the good times and the bad times, the times of joy, the times of sorrow. As he was relating with friends and as he was interacting with his enemies, those who were against him, Jesus' plan was for his disciples to spend time with him. Jesus' plan is for his disciples to spend time with him, day after day, day in and day out. And I think of uh, some of the accounts that we were looking at in our Sunday school lesson a couple weeks ago when Jesus fed the 5,000, and in today's Sunday school passage, two separate occasions, Jesus was out by the Sea of Galilee He was out there, and the multitudes came to him. What did Jesus do when the multitudes pursued him? Did he send them away like the disciples wanted him to? No. He spent time with them. He ate with them. In today's passage, it indicates they were there for three days, just continually interaction. That's the time that he spent with them. We could look at the example of Mary and Martha and how that Martha, or excuse me, how that Mary sat at his feet and just spent time with him. What were Jesus' words to her or about her? Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away. And then there's the invitation in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus delights, delighted when he was here on the earth and even today, and spending time with his people. These are just some of the indications of the fact that God wants to spend time with you. I'd like to look briefly at a few examples of spending time with God in the Scripture. We could think of the example of Moses. Moses spent time with God throughout his lifetime. There were times, a time when he spent 40 days alone with God. There were other times when Moses was just alone with God, communing with him, fellowshipping with him, receiving God's direction for his life. And I think we see one result of the time that Moses spent with God indicated in Psalm 103, verse 7, where it says that God made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. In other words, he showed the children of Israel what he did. But Moses experienced more than just simply seeing the acts of God, what he did. Moses knew the ways of God. God made known his ways unto Moses. Do you ever wish to better understand the ways of God? 
Do you find the ways of God to be hard to comprehend, hard to understand? I think we all wish to understand God's ways better. Maybe we need to spend more time with him as Moses did so that we can understand his ways. I think of David. It's obvious in reading the Psalms how much that David spent much time with God. Times of trouble, times of joy, times of sorrow, times of defeat, triumph, he was there. And even sometimes in a very tense situation. Read Psalm 3. This psalm was written while David was running for his life. How many of you, if you were running for your life, would take time to sit down and write out a prayer to God? That's an indication of the importance that David saw in spending time with God. We can look at the example of Jesus spending time with God. Again, 40 days in the wilderness, went out to spend time alone with God. I think these, uh, this time with God was foundational for Jesus' ministry at the beginning of his ministry. And then throughout his ministry, over and over again in the Gospels, you read how that Jesus went out alone. Sometimes, I believe, spending the entire night with God, a full day of ministry, a night in prayer with God, another day of ministry after that. Jesus depended on that time with God. It was a source of his strength. We may look at that a bit more later on. God desires to spend time with you. We see numerous examples of people that spend time with God. Now, what about us? Do we spend the time with God that we should? Probably most of us would need to admit, no, we don't. Well, why don't you? like to look at several excuses for not spending time with God or not spending the time with God that we should. And one excuse that you might hear is, it's boring. I can just hardly force myself to do it. Every day, just designate a time with God. It's boring. Well, It may not always be the most exciting or thrilling thing that you've done, but it can become thrilling as you spend time with God. And I would like to say, if if your excuse is that it's boring, do not speak too quickly if you have never experienced the joy of an intimate time with God, because there is little that is more fulfilling than that close connection with God. If you have not learned to commune personally with him, if you have not learned to hear his voice speaking to you and have not experienced the peace that comes from casting all your cares upon him, but learning to find fulfillment in spending time with God does take discipline. It's a little bit like playing a piano. Before you learn to play a piano, it's not too much thrilling about it unless you're three years old and just love to pound those keys and hear all the noise. It's probably not thrilling for those around you if you don't know how to play the piano. I can only play Mary Had a Little Lamb so many times before you get totally bored listening to me and before I lose interest in playing. But if you have that desire, you take lessons. 
And when you take lessons, you practice. You spend hours practicing. You make yourself practice because you're expected to practice. You may not always feel like practicing, but you do it. And in time, it becomes a joy. And you just love to sit down and play the piano. And other people enjoy hearing you play the piano. It becomes a joy both to yourself and to others. And you get to the point where you walk by the piano. It's hard not to just sit down and play a song or two before you go on your way. You see how that what took discipline at one point comes to or turns to delight. Spending time with God takes discipline, but it can become a joy. And I'd like to notice a progression in Psalm 119. Psalm 119, as you recall, the, the emphasis of that psalm is spending time in the Word of God. The, the focus is on the Word of God. And nearly every verse in that psalm focuses some way on God's Word. Psalm 4, or Psalm 119, verse 4, the psalmist says, Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Now, does that sound very thrilling? Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. To me, that doesn't sound very thrilling. That sounds like discipline, something I need to do. Kind of like your piano teacher says, now you need to spend an hour every day practicing your piano. You need to do this diligently. And that's where it starts. It starts with discipline. You need to do it diligently. But in verse 10, the psalmist says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. You see how that that discipline leads to desire. Now he's seeking God with his whole heart. In verse 24, he says, Thy testimonies also are my delight. The discipline that led to desire has now turned into delight. He delights in God's word. And then in verse 50, he says, This is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Quickened means made me alive. Your word gives me life. In other words, he was saying, I depend on your word. So it led from discipline to desire to delight to dependence, where the psalmist here recognized that without the word, he loses life. So discipline will lead to delight and to the point of dependence. Why don't you spend more time with God? What is your excuse? Well, one that is probably common to nearly every one of us is we say we just don't have the time. I would like to. I would like to have more time, but I just don't have the time. I would like to counter that, the idea that I can't afford the time, by saying you can't afford not to spend time with God if you want to grow and prosper in your Christian life. You know, as you read the Bible, and especially as you read the New Testament, there are many ironies in the New Testament, things that to the logical mind do not make sense. Some of the statements that Jesus said to the logical mind do not make sense. It seems like it's totally backwards. Jesus said, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. 
Does that make sense to logical mind? No. You don't save your life by throwing it away. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, now we all thought it's better to receive than to give, right? Jesus said, whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. That's a pretty ironic statement. It just doesn't make sense, logically. So the last shall be first, and the first last. Blessed are they that mourn. Does that make sense? Happy are those who are mournful. It just doesn't sound right. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Does that make sense? Now, we may not understand these sayings completely, but we believe they're true because they're the words of Jesus. Jesus said, th said them. I am coming to believe that there's also something ironic about the Christian's use of time, the way the Christian uses time. Sometimes I look at other people and I ask myself, how can these people get so much done? How can they do everything they do? And I never get caught up with my list. I don't get half the things done they do. How do they do it? And sometimes I wonder if it may have something to do with that person's priorities and the time they spend with God in allowing God to direct their time and then God blessing their time. I think there's some truth to that idea. You see, God is a jealous God. I mentioned that before. He is jealous of our love. He is jealous of our loyalty. And he is jealous of our time. And we need to recognize that all of my time, what I call my time, actually belongs to God. And when we try to take it from him, it doesn't work. When we do not give to God what belongs to him, he has a way of balancing the scale. If we don't give God what belongs to him, he can balance the scale. This is illustrated vividly in the Old Testament. In numerous times when the children of Israel did not give to God what belonged to him, God had a way of balancing the scale. One of the examples is the principle of the Sabbath year, where every seven years the children of Israel were to leave, were to leave the uh, land, lie in rest. Well, as time went on, they failed to do that. They did not give that seventh year to God as he intended. Leviticus 25 tells them, six years you shall sow thy field, and in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest. You shall neither sow thy field nor reap thy harvest. And in the next chapter, he says, if you do not hearken to me, I will scatter you among the heathen. A very direct warning. Second Chronicles 36, we see the results. As long as the land lay desolate, she fulfilled her Sabbath years. The Sabbath years that the people did not observe. This is why the children of Israel were in captivity. And I find it interesting that in the first passage here, God told the children of Israel, you shall give your land a rest every seven years. But then he said, if you do not do this, if you do not give the land a rest, you will suffer for it. And I find it interesting that when they did not honor God with what they thought 
was theirs, God no longer referred to it as your land. He referred to it as the land. You see, when we do not acknowledge God with what we have, we may lose what we have. We think the things we own are ours. We think our time is ours. Let's not be too sure. Another example in Haggai chapter 1. In this account, the people of Israel were building nice houses for themselves. And yet they said, ah, but it's, it's not time to build God's temple. They refused to build the Lord's house. And in this passage, the children of Israel were suffering. It said they were sowing much, planting much, but harvesting little. You eat, but there's never enough. You eat, but you never feel filled. You clothe yourselves, but you're still cold. You're never warm. And you work, you earn wages, but your wages disappear as fast as you earn them. He said you put them into a bag with holes. God said, consider your ways. You're not giving to me what belongs to me, so therefore you are suffering because of it. Malachi chapter 3, another example where they were not giving to God what belonged to him. And in this case, it was the tithes and the offerings. They were not giving to God that to which he was entitled. And verse 10 implies that even though they were not giving anything to God, they still did not have enough for themselves. Indicates they did not have enough to eat. And God very pointedly and specifically says to them, I want you to prove me. Just try me, God says. Test me. You give me what belongs to me and just see if I don't give to you what you need. He says, give me what belongs to me and I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing beyond what you know what to do with. And I feel that this is what God has been saying to me about my use of time. And giving him that which belongs to him. Just prove me. Give me your time. Give me what belongs to me. And just see if I won't meet your needs. You see, God has a way of getting what belongs to him. God has a way of honoring those who honor him. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. God says, them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Now, I don't know the details of how this works out. I recall a man in the community where I grew up, a man who was very much on fire for God. And I remember this man declaring that, he says, when I'm in a hurry to get somewhere and I break the speed limit in order to get there, he says, it always takes me longer to get there than when I respect the laws. Does that sound logical? No. Does that make sense to our minds? No. But he declared it was true. I'm not sure that I've proven that for myself, uh, but I find it an interesting concept. But isn't that exactly what God was saying about giving to him what belongs to him? If you don't give me what belongs to me, you're not going to get ahead. It's not going to profit you at all. Now remember, we're talking about excuses for not spending quality time with God. And we're talking about the excuse, but I can't afford the time. And I would like to counter that by saying, 
you cannot afford not to spend time with God. I'm going to uh, read a short poem here written by Grace Nasons. You may have heard this before. I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. Problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each ask. Why doesn't God help me? I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on, gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, but you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided. My child, you didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. It will make the difference. Let's go on and look at, the next, at another question. How much time should I spend with God? So how much time is appropriate to spend with God? I'm familiar with a little booklet called One Minute Insights for Men. Very convenient, little page each day. If I spend one minute every day, that's a pretty big commitment. Is that enough time to spend with God? I get that book, One Minute Insights for Men. Well, how about 10 minutes? Maybe some of you use a little booklet beside the still waters or Our Daily Bread. And you read the daily reading. You read a passage of scripture. You spend a few minutes in prayer. Spend about 10 minutes and you go on your way. Is that enough? How much time should I spend with God each day? How much is enough? Maybe a half an hour would be better. Maybe we're not satisfied with 10 minutes. Maybe a half an hour. How much is enough? I remember a number of years ago, Pablo Yoder had tent meetings in our community here. He was talking about spending time with God. And he suggested that if God expects a tithe of our money, maybe we should give him a tithe of our time. He said that would be 2.4 hours per day. That would come out to 2 hours and 24 minutes each day. Does that sound overwhelming? Is that enough? Do you think God would be satisfied with 2.4 hours each day? Those of you who are married, or those of you who are looking forward to getting married, if you're going to get married, and you know that when you're married, you get to spend 2.4 hours with your spouse every day, would you be satisfied? Or if you're not married yet, 2.4 hours per day. You have a date, start at 7 o'clock, 9.24, you got to get out of there. You spent your 2.4 hours. Is that enough? You say, no, that's not enough. I want more. We're never satisfied. We want more. How much time does God want? I'd like to suggest that he wants 24 hours each day. 24 hours of our time should be committed to God. Isaiah 62 verse 6 says, All the day and all the night they shall never be silent who put the Lord in remembrance. 1 Kings 8 59 and let, the, let these my words, wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord, be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night. Now this doesn't mean we're going to be on our knees 24 hours a day. But I think that God should be on our mind. 
we should be aware of his presence throughout the day, as we work, as we go about our activities. You men, when you go to work, do you think about your wives during the day? Wives, do you think about your husbands during the day? I'm sure you do. There's two types of time. There's quality time. And I'm not going to stand here and say how much quality designated time you need to spend with God each day. That's, that's something between you and God. But let's not cut God short on the quality time. If you want an interesting study, just read some biographies of some of the, what we would refer to as great men of God. Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, David Livingston. Find out how much time they spent with God each day. It's very interesting. I believe the amount of time that you spend with God will be proportional to your effectiveness for him. And then there's, in addition to the quality time, the awareness time. The time that I'm busy with other things, but I'm aware of God. When I'm driving, do I picture God's presence in the vehicle with me when I'm working at night and so forth? Well, how much time should I spend with God? 24 hours a day. How should I spend my time with God? You know, I indicated I'm not saying we need to spend 24 hours on our knees, 24 hours with God's word open in front of us. But how should I spend time with God? I believe it's good to have some planned activities. If you get together with your friends, you spend some time together, sometimes you may just sit and visit. That's good. That's quality time. Sometimes you may plan some activities to do together. You may plan to go on a walk together. You may plan to play a game together. And it's still quality time. And I think it's good to have planned activities in your time with God. A Bible study plan. A prayer plan. A journal. Write a prayer to God. Write out what God is speaking to you through his word. Something I enjoy in my time with God is taking a walk. I remember years ago one time I uh, made a comment that I, I want to go take a walk. I want to spend some time in prayer. One of my young nephews was there and he asked the question, well, how can you see where you're going if you're praying while you're walking? You know, he imagined that you have to have your eyes shut when you're praying. But activities like this can be very meaningful times with God. And I think there should be scheduled times. Planned activities, scheduled times. Daily. Protect those times jealously. Protect them as you would your only opportunity to talk to someone you love. Maybe you want to schedule a weekly time with God. I know a, a man that was involved in, in ministry. He was involved in prison ministry uh, a number of days a week. And every Wednesday was his off day. Every Wednesday he would spend fasting and in time with God. And it was foundational to his effectiveness in his ministry. As he was continuing to give and give and give, this was his time to receive and spending that time with God. Plan. Make plans. If there's someone you love, you plan a date night. You might plan a, week, a weekend away with your spouse. 
or at least a day alone. Sometimes it's time, it's good to just schedule times to be alone with God. Schedule a day to spend time with Him. I'd like to uh, look at one more point here, a few blessings of spending time with God. And this list could go on and on. I'll mention a few. One of those blessings is joy. And as I think about this, I, my mind goes to a, a dear brother I learned to know in Romania. And as I picture this man, it's hard for me to picture him without a smile on his face. It seemed to me like this man was always smiling. When you talked to him, he was smiling. When he was preaching, he was smiling. When he was interacting with people, he was smiling. It seemed like he was always smiling. But as you learn to know this man, and as you learn to hear some of his testimony, he shared about numerous times, especially as a youth, a young person growing up, how he would spend entire days with God. He would go out in the forest and spend all day with God and into the nighttime just alone with God. He'd climb a mountain and just spend the mountain alone with God. And he'd say, oh, the pure delight. He says, those days were just days that I would not exchange for anything. And I think the joy that he experienced through his time with God was reflected on his face as he spent time with other people. Spending time with God brings joy. I think spending time with God brings strength. And I wrote spiritual strength here. I think it gives us spiritual strength. It may also give us physical strength. I don't understand how this works. This may be one of these aspects that are not logical to our human minds. But how many times did Jesus spend an entire day of ministry, a taxing day, a stressing day with people, go spend the night in prayer and go right back into the temple the next day and encounter these people who were trying to back him into a corner. Where did he get the strength? John chapter 7, spent the whole day with people. At the end of the chapter, it says, and everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went out to the mountain. And the next day, he was right back there again. And it seems to me that God may have given him physical strength as a result of his time with him. Just a couple of weeks ago in Sunday school class, one of the brothers was sharing how that they had a need in their life. And he said, in there's a particular occasion, he says, we spent the entire night in prayer. He said, you would, think, thought, you would have thought that the next day we'd have been totally worn out. He said, but we weren't. We had energy. He said, God gave us strength. I think God can meet our needs, but God gives us spiritual strength as well as we spend time with him. I remember a number of years ago when I was involved at SMBI with the water program, one of the things in their agenda was they were going to spend a night in prayer. And I remember looking at the schedule and thinking about spending a night in prayer and thinking that looked totally overwhelming. How am I going to stay awake? How am I going to enjoy it? Ever boring, a whole night in prayer. But it was not. It was an exciting night. They used a little booklet, The Hour That Changes the World, and just worked through the 12 different aspects of things that you can pray about and ways that you can pray. Beautiful times. I look back on that with very good memories. Another blessing of spending time with God is victory. God's word gives success. Joshua 1.8. If you have not memorized that verse, take it as a challenge for this week. should be a verse in every Christian's memory. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, 
that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. God promises success, spiritual success. This is victory, spiritual victory. A quote I heard this week, a sermon I was listening to. The man said, the temptations that you face throughout the week are not your biggest problem. It says your biggest problem is your neglect of God's word. What he was saying, if you fill yourself with God's word, you will have the strength to face those temptations. God's word is life. Yet so often we rush out the door without ever taking it off the shelf. It's like taking a trek across the desert without a supply of water. What are the blessings of spending time with God? Just the intimacy with God, the peace with God, spiritual effectiveness. How can you be effective spiritually if you do not spend time with God? Daily direction, and like I said, this list could go on and on. My question to you this morning is, do you love God? Can God tell that you love him? Does he know that you love him? If the amount of time that you spent with him would be the only way that God recognizes that you love him, what would his perception be of your love? Are you willing to show God your love by the amount of time that you spend with him? I'm going to read another poem here in closing by Lawrence Luciano. I knelt to pray, but not for long. I had too much to do. I had to hurry and get to work, for bills would soon be due. So I knelt and said a hurried prayer and jumped up off my knees. My Christian duty was now done. My soul could rest at ease. All day long I had no time to spend a word of cheer, no time to speak of Christ to friends. They'd laugh at me, I fear. No time, no time, too much to do, that was my constant cry. No time to give to souls in need. But at last, the time, the time to die. I went before the Lord, I came, I stood with downcast eyes. For in his hands God held a book, it was the book of life. God looked into his book and said, your name I cannot find. I once was going to write it down, but never found the time. Luke 9, verse 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory. Do you have time for God? I invite those of you who care to, to join us as we kneel for prayer. Father, this morning we thank you that you have time for us, that you care for us. You're there waiting, ready for us. You're calling our name. You're seeking for us. Lord, we want to respond this morning to your call and just allow you to take that which really belongs to you, the time that we have. Lord, we want to give ourselves to you. We want to honor you, seek your face, and allow your joy to be reflected to those around us and allow your strength to give us victory from day to day. We just pray that you would be honored and glorified for your will. In Christ's name, amen.